Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's a Christmas verse given by the prophet Isaiah some 600 years before Jesus was born in the manger. Here's the text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And we all know Emmanuel means God with us. And what a great blessing we have. Jesus came in the flesh over 2,000 years ago. He was born, he lived a sinless life, he went to the cross, he bore our sins, he died, he rose again. But you know, we can have a relationship with God even today. As we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who is with believers 24-7, 365 days a year. And so he's always with us. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. All we have to do is pray, and we can come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And we just have a wonderful relationship with God. And as we look forward to the Christmas season, let's just be so thankful for a God who unconditionally loves us and accepts us the way we are and allows us to not only have his salvation, but also be members of his family and have eternal life and all the blessings and benefits of having a relationship with him. What a great blessing. What a great thought for the Christmas season. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio two missionaries from Japan, from, actually from the island of Okinawa, where I had served uh, in the military at one time in my previous existence. Peter and Valerie have served in Okinawa for four years now, and they're home on furlough, and they want to share some of the experiences that they've had on the mission field. So as we were doing ministry in Okinawa and working with the local church there, we met the pastor's son-in-law. And... Uh, we have lovingly named him Charles to protect his privacy. Charles is a very interesting character. He's not a Christian. Uh, his wife is, um, but he is not, which seems to be very common in Japan where the, the wife is a Christian and then the husband is not. So we have desired to build a relationship with him. Uh, we really desire to see him become a Christian. I remember the first time that we had him over, it was such a wonderful time. We had him and his wife and his sister-in-law and basically the whole family with the kids and everyone over and we were eating together and they had such a wonderful time that at the end, in a very un-Japanese fashion, he blurts out, we should have you over for dinner. And his wife 
a little hesitant, says, well, how about we go out for a meal? <laughs> Which is the more Japanese thing to do. <laughs> Most Japanese people won't invite people over unless you're family to their home. And at the time, they were living in a very small apartment. And so I think she was quite nervous about <laughs> having us over. But that was really the beginning of uh, this wonderful relationship that we have with him. And so over, over as the months rolled by, uh, we started to just have them over on a really regular basis. And it was really interesting because there came a point where we started to feel like Charles was kind of testing us to see if we would accept him and love him in spite of behavior that he might exhibit that might not be appropriate. Um, so for instance, one time uh, I was using a wrong word in Japanese. And in the Japanese culture, you never want to correct someone when they're using a wrong word or something like that, because it's seen as very impolite. And the Japanese don't really differentiate between a person and their actions and their ideas. It's if you criticize someone's actions or ideas, then you're also criticizing the person themselves. And so he corrected a word that I said. And even my Japanese language teacher will often not correct me, even when I know that I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> even and when you ask. Even when you ask them to, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he, he made this correction and I just, I paused for a second because I was kind of surprised, but then I went on and used the word that he had suggested and, and our relationship continued on like normal. And he did several interesting things um, that just were culturally kind of questionable, but we just were so determined to just keep loving him. And I think eventually he kind of accepted that and the testing stopped, but it did go on for several months. Yeah, one of the tests actually was quite interesting. I think it would be even inappropriate here. Um, he was over at our house and we were talking about soccer. It's his favorite sport. And he mentioned that the Japanese men's team was trying to qualify for the World Cup. And so I was just trying to talk with him and learn more about the soccer team because I, I don't know much about international soccer. And he suddenly says, can I come over to watch the game? <laughs> I said, sure. He says to me, can I invite my friends? <laughs> oh, <gee>. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. On one condition. And he said, what? He said, I said to him, on the condition that we can make the food and we'll provide Canadian snacks that we would normally eat at a sporting event when we get together with friends. And he says, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a wonderful time. He invited people over and we had just an incredible time with him. And we are desperately praying for his salvation. And actually, it's uh, been quite a fascinating journey just to watch him. He actually attended our Bible ESL class where they would each week learn stories. The students would learn stories about Jesus. And at the end of each Bible ESL class, there's a memory verse. And when he first started attending, he was so excited. He would come up to Peter every week after class and share with him the verse from the week before he had memorized these English Bible verses. And so we just kept praying to God that he would just really use those verses that had been implanted in Charles's mind to kind of filter into his heart and so that he would become a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I actually started praying as well for Charles to become a Christian through his daughter, Annabelle. He and his daughter are very, very close. And she at that point was not a Christian either. And we started praying for her salvation. We had also developed quite a close relationship with her as well. And she had been attending our kids ESL class 
And we just kept trying to pour Jesus' love into her life. And we just found out a couple months ago that she actually has become a Christian. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And she's been baptized in Japan. And so now we, <laughs> it seems like that, that uh, drawing of her daddy to Christ may, may be getting started now that she's become a Christian as well. Well, that's a really interesting story. And uh, thank you so much for sharing it. Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot be on the air without the support of our listeners. We ask for that you would continue to pray for us and uh, pray that God will continue to send in donations so that we can continue to keep this ministry on the air. Canada's National Bible Hour has been on the air over 90 years. It's the oldest Christian broadcast in North America, and we believe that God wants to continue to help us to stay on the air. Thank you so much for your donations and your prayers. This month, we're offering a wonderful uh, booklet entitled A Classic Christmas Caroling Songbook. It's got 30 sing-along favorites. It's a wonderful book. You can get a free copy of it sending in uh, to our office. Hymn sings around in your home during the Christmas season, or you can use it to go out and carol in the neighborhood. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, booklet. It has the words and the music with it. It's just a wonderful thing that you can use during the Christmas season. Highly recommend it. Bet you'll love it if you get it. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R, 7A7 or United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. The last two times we spoke, we dealt with various aspects about heaven. We learned that we get to heaven only by faith in Christ, without any works of our own. We saw that the soul of a believer entered the presence of the Lord immediately at the point of death. Finally, we learned that heaven will be a glorious place where God will pour out his love for us for all eternity. Today, in preparation for our consideration of the new Jerusalem, we need to see what will go on with respect to this world as God prepares to move into that final eternal stage. When the Apostle Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he described what the conditions would be like on the earth prior to the rapture of the church. We read about it in 2 Timothy 3, 1-7. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And from such people turn away. 
For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In these verses, Paul lists 19 characteristics of what it will be like on the earth prior to the coming of the Lord. We do not have to look very far to understand that this certainly fits the day in which we're living. He told us to turn away from those things and those who are like this. In other words, he made it very clear in this letter that believers in Christ are not to be involved in these things. As a young man, my father was chairman of the board of our home church, which had gradually slipped into liberalism. At the age of 17, while attending a Bible conference, the Lord touched my heart and I received Christ as my Savior. Within a year, I told my parents I could no longer go to that church because they were not preaching the truth of the Bible. Surprisingly, they were feeling the same way. As a family, we left that church and began to go to one where the Word of God was taught and souls were saved. Paul told Timothy to turn away from the world. The Apostle Peter deals more about God's preparation for the New Jerusalem by describing what will happen to the heavens and the earth before eternity begins. He speaks of the scoffers who will come in the last days. In the first seven verses, he says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you will be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Jesus, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have gone asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water by which the word that then existed perished. The world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which now exist, are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In the first two verses of this passage of Scripture, Peter is talking to believers whom he loved deeply. He was reminding them of what was taught by the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus himself concerning the day of the Lord, or events that would take place after the rapture. It's quite interesting that he puts the words of the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus himself all on an equal level from God himself. In the next verses, he moves on to point out what the scoffer of the last days would hold. Walking in their own lusts and wicked ways, they would mock 
any prediction of the Lord's return and any future judgment. They would point out that nothing has happened since the day of creation. The dead were still dead, and the cemeteries had centuries had passed by. What is all this foolishness the prophet Jesus and the apostles were teaching about the coming judgment? As we read this, it does not sound too different from the position multitudes of people around the world hold today. I'm certain that many of your acquaintances hold this position, and perhaps you do too. As we think of the argument of Peter in verses 5 through 7, he reminds these scoffers of something they have seemingly forgotten, water. According to the Genesis 1, 6-8, the firmament came up out of the waters, and there was a canopy of water that hung over the earth. He is reminding these scoffers that when the wickedness of man became so great, God used these very waters to cause the Genesis flood and move wicked, remove wicked men from the earth. Now they should have remembered that God had promised he would never destroy the earth by water again. He had even given the rainbow to prove his point. Peter then continues by telling them that God will one day judge the earth by a different means, fire. This judgment is definite, but the judgment is on layaway. When the time is ripe, God will pour out his judgment on the earth by fire. Later in the chapter, we find the reason for that judgment to be delayed. It's because God desires that man might be saved. However, that does not make the judgment uncertain in any way. The time will come when God will pour out his wrath on this planet once again. Second Peter 3.8 is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It reads, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. There are quite a few scholars that use this verse to claim there's no millennial kingdom or thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. If you look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 7, you will find the thousand-year reign of Christ mentioned seven times. If you look at the events there, they could not possibly take place in one day. An example of this is the binding of Satan. Why would he be bound for only one day? The point being made in 2 Peter 3 is that God doesn't look at time as man does. What seems to be a very long time for these scoffers really isn't that long when God looks at things from an eternal point of view. We may live 70, 80, or 90 years, but James says our life is but a vapor in comparison to time. While the scoffers might claim that a thousand years is a very long time. With God, it's just a fleeting thing in comparison to eternity. They had forgotten about God's judgment by the flood, as it had been such a long time since it happened. But to God, 
that was only a short time compared to eternity. The prophetic aspect that I would like for us to consider is found in Second Peter 3, 9-14. We should note that while Peter is responding to the claims of the scoffers, he also has a message to the believers. Twice in our passage he refers to the beloved ones. He is informing them of what will happen to this world when God finally does bring his judgment upon this sin-cursed earth. Then at the end, he begins to develop the differences between what is in store for the unbeliever and the believer in Christ. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Before we can understand these verses, we must set them in perspective with promises given in Revelation 21.1 and 2. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In preparation for the new Jerusalem, what is God going to do with this old sin-cursed earth? The passage in Revelation tells us there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Peter explains what will happen to the old heaven and earth in the passage we've just read. Let us take a look at what he wrote verse by verse and word by word. In 2 Peter 3.10, he tells us the event will occur suddenly as a thief in the night. I remember when I was a junior in high school, it was around Christmas time and I had a nice set of Lionel trains. My cousin was drafted into the military and had given me two more sets of trains with automatic switches. All this was set up in our basement. I was assigned to listen to Dickens' to Dickens Christmas Carol on radio and to write a report on it for the next day. Just as the program started, I heard glass break in our basement and told my mother someone was stealing my trains. My father was not there as he'd gone to a funeral. The police were called, and guess what? I was right. They caught the young man and took him to jail. So I know a little about a thief in the night. It happens very suddenly.
In the next portion of this verse, the original Greek puts it this way. The heavens with a rushing sound will pass away, and the elements burning will be dissolved. In this catastrophic event that will take place after the millennium, the heavens or the earth's atmosphere will all disappear with a tremendous roar. There will be a great fire with heat so hot that everything will be dissolved. However, this does not affect what Paul refers to as the third heaven or the place of God's abode. Peter then continues his thoughts in the light of this catastrophic judgment by making a plea for his readers to live a lifestyle of holy conduct and godliness. In that plea, he reemphasizes that their lives as well as ours should be lived for the Lord in light of that coming judgment. We should be anticipating and hoping for that to come shortly. Again, he reminds his readers that all we know about the heavens and earth will be completely dissolved in that heat. This was certainly difficult to comprehend until the advent of the nuclear explosives that were developed during World War II. Finally, after describing the horrors that will take place and then giving a challenge to live for the Lord, Peter offers his readers hope for which they had long. Writing to the beloved or believers in Christ, he said they were trusting in the promises of God. He is speaking as if the heavens and earth can be done away with just like dirty and torn old clothes. We have the promises of God for new heavens and a new earth. We have a far greater hope than what this old earth has. We will be with the Lord and live in righteousness forever. That is where the new Jerusalem comes in that we'll examine in our next message. There are two messages we should learn from these scriptures today. There's a heavenly home for all believers in Christ. Then while waiting and longing for that day when we will be with Christ, we should live every moment of our life for him now. We never know when is a thief in the night. We will be taken out of this life. We had better be prepared. I trust the message you just heard will be a real blessing to you during this Christmas season. We're so thankful for the privilege of sharing the gospel. And one of the great opportunities we have during the Christmas season is to have people reflect on on God's plan of salvation. And so we want to share that plan with you. Just says that all of us have sinned and all of us have come short of the glory of God. And none of us are going to get into God's presence because he's a holy God. And he can't be around sin and he can't be around sinners. And the problem is each and every one of us is a sinner. We've always done bad things and things that we're ashamed of. And so therefore, uh, we are not able to get into his presence. But God loved us so much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God made a way. And what he did is he sent the best gift that he had. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came during the Christmas season as a babe in a manger. 
and he grew up and lived a sinless life, but the goal all the time was so, so that he could go to the cross, and on the cross he bore all our sins, the sins, the wrath that God has towards our sins, the anger that he has towards our sins, our misdeeds, all the things that we thought that were wrong, were sinful, all the bad deeds that we did with our bodies, all these things God bore in his own body as Jesus hung on the tree. He took our place. He was our substitute. He was our sacrifice for us. And he died and rose again on the third day, and he's alive today. John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, ask Jesus to come into our life. Unto them he gave he the right to become the children of God. And as you do that, you become a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And you get into the Bible, you start reading the Bible, and you start growing in your faith, and uh, God continues to change you throughout your life. And so you have that great opportunity to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Don't forget to order your copy of the classic Christmas caroling songbook. What a wonderful book. You need to write in and get that. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7 or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can hear past past messages of Canada's National Bible Hour on the Mission Go website, which is www.missiongo.org. And remember to pray for our financial needs uh, this month. 